Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this Monday edition of Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show just happens to be Monday, 50 days to the election. We are going to talk about, did Jesus really have a wife? I mean, I know you're dumbfounded just as I was, because maybe it's a question that has poked at our consciousness over time, but we sort of accepted the gospel's rendition of what happened, even though we might have had some intellectual questions around it, but spiritually, we accepted what the gospel said. So I came across a story yesterday on CNN.com because they were following up on a story in the Atlantic from 2016. (laughs) And I was just, I I had to ask myself, I said, how come I didn't see this conversation going on in 2016? I mean, where was I? I was actually co-pastoring a church at the time, a small church in Southfield, Michigan. I was on staff. You know, I was active in in ministry. That's what you call it. And I I really can't understand that entire conversation I would have loved to have been a part of it. And more importantly, how come I never talked about it? At that time, I was a syndicated radio host. I was on radio in Detroit and uh, Covington, Kentucky and Cincinnati, Ohio. So it kind of begs the question, really, how come I missed the conversation around did Jesus have a wife? But if the truth be known, a couple of months <laughs> A couple of months later, a friend and I had sat down and talked about it, and she was one of the first persons who actually, in my entire life, introduced the idea that Jesus must have had a wife and that there were documents to prove it and that we've been lied to, and she felt strongly about it. And I was like, seriously? And she said, yes, there's actually a gospel written to it. What I didn't know was that she had actually read the story and paraphrased it. But you see how misinformation spreads. She read the story, she paraphrased it, but she didn't read the story in its entirety because the story in its entirety, I'm giving it away, I'm giving it away. So how are you all doing? Uh, Football season has started, but it doesn't feel like football. The NFL, unfortunately, has allowed itself to become politicized. It couldn't escape just being part of the culture off the culture, but it became politicized. And don't blame Colin Kaepernick for it because he used his platform to call attention to the inequities and to the police brutality against black men. But if the NFL had not responded by firing him, we would have just said, oh, he's just another athlete who is speaking up. Good for him. He has found his voice. And we would have left it at that. But no, the NFL fired him because Donald Trump said the NFL should fire him, right? And then once he got fired for speaking up, that created, that became a snowball effect that just gathered and gathered and gathered until now every athlete is making a statement. I just read a story on Twitter where Lewis Hamilton, the the race car driver, uh, wore a whole t-shirt that says, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. It's six months 
and the cops still have not been arrested. And so when you look at it, we're in this conflation of, of racial violence, wildfires tearing the country, the West Coast apart that is impacting air quality in some states, even in the Northwest, in the Pacific Northwest, and even in the Northwest as far north as the Canadian border. And you got to ask yourself a question. What next? <laughs> what next? What, what's next? Well, it's 50 days to the election and any game can play. It's showing Biden is leading, but any game can play. I'm still surprised that at this point that there are still a lot of people who support the president. I am shocked. I don't know what more, I don't know what kind of Kool-Aid that he's poured them at their drinking. Why? Because the coronavirus has killed nearly 200,000 people. You have him on tape saying he knew how deadly the virus was going to be and he still did nothing about it. He's still holding rallies. And despite the scientific evidence and the fact that the rest, I blame the media, man. The media does not show how the rest of the world is coping with it. So they think that this is just an American political ploy. The media is not showing in-depth reports from Europe, neither from South America nor anywhere else in the world. So, of course, most Americans don't give a fig. And don't care what happens to the rest of the world. They literally don't give a fig. They don't even know that there's a whole world out there. Most people have never left their state or they only travel to some states. Most of them never gone south or they never go east or they never go north or midwest. So they really don't know. And those same group of people naturally don't know where Europe is. They probably can't point to France on a map or Spain. So how are they going to know when you talk about North Africa? They just think Africa are African-Americans. That's the extent of their knowledge. They don't know where South America is. Oh, well, it must be South of America is their prevailing ideology. No, I'm not making fun of people. I'm just saying that is the level at which people are. So the media does not show how the rest of the world is. So naturally, people think that this is a ploy, that the media doesn't like Trump. So, of course, they think it's it. And he buys into it and feeds it. Much to the chagrin and frustration of the rest of us, I have more gray hairs under Donald Trump than I've ever had in my life. I mean, I used to have few springs of gray hairs. No, my whole head is practically gray because every day it's one thing after another. He has incited so much racial violence that here in, in Macomb County, Michigan, people are throwing rocks through people's uh, living rooms and, and subdivisions are telling people to remove Black Lives Matter signs, but they're not telling people to take down Trump pen signs. So racially divided the country that now, as, instead of being united as Americans, we're looking at each other with suspicion, like, are you one of those people who believe in, in white supremacy? You see what I'm saying? And he has succeeded. If it's one thing he has done, he has succeeded in dividing the country. He has totally succeeded in making us all feel that there's an America for one and an America for the others. I saw somebody on CNN yesterday saying that the Latino vote is going to divide the election. And I'm like, seriously, you guys going to vote? Since when do you even enter into the conversation? It seems to me that the current president had a whole policy to extricate all Latinos out of the countries. The rest of us who are mixed with Latinos, I don't know. My grandfather was Cuban, so I don't know what you would do with me. <laughs> right? So you got to ask yourself, so I'm like, really, you're going to decide the vote? 
seriously, let me see you all go vote because you don't seem to have much to say. You don't say anything. You don't act on anything. You don't do anything. You don't march. You don't agitate. You don't let your voices be heard, but we're going to hear from you in the election. I don't hold out much hope for that. And when you do vote, you tend to still vote Republican. So how are you going to vote for somebody who says we all come from S-I-H-I-T, whole countries? What kind of foolishness is that? How is that respectable, right? So I'm just saying, I'm just, yeah, I'm venting because I'm venting because I've had enough. I want to go back to it's fall or approaching fall. And I want to go back to just watching football. It's Monday morning. I'm supposed to be on such a high from watching the NFL yesterday. It was the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. Oh, my God. I should be so screamed out. I shouldn't have a voice yet. I should have watched Clemson on Saturday. How you make me miss football season. My God, this is one of the highs that you look forward to in the fall. It's football. And, you know, you roll into Halloween. Are we going to go trick-or-treating with coronavirus, (laughs) knocking on people's doors who have the virus, (laughs) right? And, of course, Thanksgiving and Black Friday shopping, even if you just do Cyber Monday, even if all you do is just watch the crowds. But just Thanksgiving, getting together with family, eating a meal, even with people who you don't like, and then watching the game afterwards. Can you dig it? Is there even going to be Christmas? I saw some memes on, on Instagram yesterday that says Santa is saying, I'm not seeing you guys this year. <laughs> And so, so I'm like, it can't be that bad. And when I woke up this morning, my first thought was, wait a minute. It's been seven months of the coronavirus. When it first started, we had no idea that we would have a Christmas with coronavirus. It's like crazy. It's like plum crazy. So I am here for it. I'm just here for this whole thing. I can't wait for the next 50 days to go so we can get past this and move forward. We've got to move forward as a nation. We've got to move forward and do what is best for all of us, not some of us. You can't sit on one side of the fence and say, well, the policy, his policies are not hurting me, so I shouldn't. You're in the minority because you've lost your farm. You've lost your small business due to trade tariffs that he provoked that made your goods sit on the shelves and your milk and your cheese get destroyed. So get over that real quick and get with the program and do what is good for all of us. Yesterday was also the 20th year since the Violence Against Women's Act was passed. So today is 2020. It was passed in 1990. And I had to tweet Mr. Biden because I'm a beneficiary of the Violence Against Women's Act. And because of that act, I obtained freedom from an abusive spouse who was going to kill me. He didn't just threaten me, he literally was, asked the cops and the 1,000 pages of law enforcement reports from Florida, right? And I I mentioned to Mr. Biden that I wrote about him in a book because he was just a senator from Delaware. He didn't have any skin in the game, really, but he authored. So with all the stuff that people say he did, he did that. And because of that, he has created a space in America for women who have endured sexual violence and sexual assault and domestic violence, violence from our partners. He has created a space for us 
to have a voice and to obtain freedom under the law and to obtain protections under the law. So shout out to Mr. Joe Biden himself for doing that. I will never forget how I felt when I was at work one morning. I got to work and I collapsed emotionally. Yes, I did. I started crying because my ex-husband pursued me to work. He was outside threatening <laughs> to come inside if I didn't go to the bank and sign over every penny we had in the bank to him. He threatened that he would kill me by the time I got home and he was going to kill our child. Don't tell her. She doesn't need to know that. And when I walked into work, he was actually at the door and it was the security guards who uh, prevented him from coming in because he threatened to kill me. And when I walked in, they, uh, they, I was met by the human resources manager and, this, and the, my supervisor who said that we knew this was coming. Now, what do you want to do? And they took me to, they sent me to a local agency, one of the protections provided by the Violence Against Women's Act. And through that agency, I learned about VAWA and how I could obtain my freedom. And that set me free. I began, to, I did look into it and I followed their, their suggestions and their guidelines. And the rest, as they say, is history. Like literally, history, right? I followed uh, the leanings, they referred me to a therapist and between the coordination of the therapist and the local agencies in that area at the time, I was able to obtain my freedom. And I'm still free. And being free is everything. So when I tell you that there is some heart in this from Joe Biden. That, you know, I say this all the time. People want to rule and reign, right? People want to run for office, whether at the local level or at the national level or at the community level, at the city, the county, and the state level. But my question has always been, show me your record. Show me where you have made an impact in someone's life that didn't directly benefit you. Show me where you have done something for someone that has impacted their lives for the better, that they can say, I did this. I'm not talking about you, somebody like Mr. Trump, who he can pay anybody. He'll pay people $1,000 to say something. I'm talking about people who will come forward and say, your intervention is what helped me or your support or what you did. And if people can't show you their record, then don't vote for them. You have to have a record that says that here is my record of community support, here's what I have done, and it's taxed up, here's what I have done. Advocacy is very important and fervent advocacy. Some people pick up a banner to say something and then when the hard times come, they disappear. I'm one of those people who, when I first started in my area here in Southeast Michigan and Detroit, when I first started, the tool that was available to me was social media. And when I began talking about ending violence against women, they called me lesbian. They called me, they didn't even, if they had called me bisexual, I would have probably put a crown on my head or something. I swear to God, they called me lesbian. They said, I must be a bitter woman. I must be an angry woman to talk about this. And I was like, how are you saying that when violent, you, you know, you know, people who beat up their wives and you probably have female family members who have endured violence. All of a sudden, it's a good thing now to be known as a woman's rights advocate. All of a sudden, now it's a good thing to be known as a woman's advocate. Everybody is pursuing that because they recognize the, uh, but are you authentic? Are you authentically empowering and uplifting women? 
can women say you have helped them? Do you see what I'm saying? Or do you do it because you want the press to say something good about you? There was a lot. I never got any press. I still don't get any press. So you never see TV cameras or cameras following me. But I'm pretty sure if you were to ask the question, there are probably a few people who can say one or two, you can find who can authentically say, I did something. I did something to help them. So when people say they're going to run for office, ask what their platform is. Examine their lives. It's all on social media. See where they intervened, where they said something, and stay true to the cause. That is what makes it more authentic. It's time out for leaders and people who are just in it for the glory, who are in it because it looks like a good photo opportunity. And they're in it because they're going to make $1.9 billion in three years. Time out for that. I know everybody makes money when they go in politics. I know it's all hidden. You can continue to hide it. But I want to see the impact that you have made. I look at Joe Biden and I see where he, for me, I felt the impact. He signed a law into effect that benefited folks like me. And that morning, it was a Thursday morning, when I walked into my, to, the, to, to the building where I worked, and they told me that this law was available. You know, the first question is, why didn't anybody tell me about that? I never knew that such a thing could happen. And when they sent me to the therapist and the therapist pulled the actual legislation and showed it to me, I was like, unbelievable. She's like, do you have the internet at home? And I said, yes. She says, here is the, here is the link. You remember in those days when they said link, you were like, link? What are we going to link with? Link up? <laughs> right? But when she showed it to me, it made such a difference. And then I could deal with the rest of it because I could smile now. Because I knew exactly how I was going to get out. And despite everything that my ex-husband thought he could do, I knew I had the victory, right? I knew I had gotten over. So stay true to the course. And for all of you who are running or you are planning to run or you are developing some sort of plan to run, remember, be authentic and make sure that you have a track record behind you of having worked with community members and having the, the, the reports that people can say, yes, she did something, right? You want to have that feeling. I never got paid for it. I never got the money, but there is no feeling like I felt like I was a better human being because I opened a shelter to provide shelter to people who couldn't help themselves. I fed people who couldn't help themselves. I didn't go collect a drive. I used my own money when mom died and she left me a little something. I used my own money to go and do it. I felt like I was such a better human being for having touched people whom the society disregarded and wanted to have nothing to do. But you see, to me, they were no different than me. They were just people. Had it not been for the grace of God, I would have been just like them. So how was I not going to help them? Amen? Amen. So with that being said, we want to talk about did Jesus really have a wife? So I examined the report, and I read the report on CNN, which was abbreviated, but I read the report on The Atlantic, and I read the investigative report that The Atlantic reporter actually did. It was quite conclusive. And not only was it conclusive, but it was uh, quite investigative. I mean, he dug into the facts. He conducted his investigation over time. And I'm going to give him credit for it. it the reporter who coined the report is Ariel 
Sabar. Mr. Sabar, you are a champion. I'm going to reach out to you on Twitter and give you some credit for this because this is truly, I didn't read this until 2024 years later. But did Jesus really have a wife? What do you all think about that? I mean, at the back of our minds, I think most of us have kind of said, there's no way Jesus didn't get it on. You know, uh, he must have had some female companionship. But the, que- the question would arise now in this day and age, because in our modern way of life, people have, uh, men and women have closer access to one another, right? So it is impossible to imagine that Mary Magdalene and the other two women, the two, uh, two Marys who were around Jesus, that having touched him so personally, like giving him a foot massage, that there wasn't some sexual connotation to it. But you got to understand that in the day and time Jesus lived, if he had sex with those women outside of a committed marital situation without her family's uh, permission, he w- she would have been stoned. Like a typical man, he would have just gone on about his business like, hey, oh, just like today. Not much has changed in that regard. But in that day and time, he couldn't have had sex. So that's why I guess they suppose that he had to have been married because sex could not take place with a woman so publicly you moving around with women that they, she must have had, he must have been married to her. But the truth is we can't find any documentation historically that attests to that. Even the rabbis in Israel haven't found that. I remember some years ago when the Da Vinci Code, you remember that, right? When the Da Vinci Code first came out and it's supposed, it was based on an idea that Jesus and Mary had gotten married and they have children and the children were descendants and the children were persecuted. It was very profound when it happened because it made all of us question, because guess what? If that is the case, the whole ideology behind the Catholic Church would collapse, isn't it? Because the Catholic Church based their following and their uh, theology, basically, on the fact that Jesus had an all-male discipleship, right? So they created a whole ideology around you have to be male to serve God. So if Jesus, it was found out, had a, a wife, then it would destroy how the Catholic Church uh, presented itself and the ideology around it. I mean, it would destroy that. But let's examine it contextually. I mean, none of us who are alive today have the answer. I guess we're all going to have to wait to find that out if that is something that is going to be revealed. But when personally, I can only talk about me. But personally, when I look at it, I said to myself, I did have some questions because when I was growing up in high school, I went to a Catholic high school, an all-girls Catholic high school. And I remember it was one of the questions I asked of my religious teacher. Again, I'm bringing my modern thinking into this, that Jesus must have been a man who desired female companionship. There are some people who even say Jesus was homosexual because he was surrounded by men all the time. But back then, in that day and time, they had very strict laws governing how people comported with one another. And it was seen, and in the culture of the time, it it was more seeming, you know, women only served men. So women were not seen as equal to men. And it's important to make that. So the scholar in this story, uh, Dr. Karen King, who is a... Uh, professor at the Harvard Divinity School, 
she believed in this report that someone sent. So here's how this works. Uh, we know that scripture was printed on ancient parchment called papyrus, right? So some guy who came from Germany to the U.S. presented to Dr. King what he considered, what he sold her on the idea that this was an ancient parchment containing the words where Jesus said, and my wife is able to be a disciple. And so she created, Dr. King wrote two pages about just the idea that did Jesus have a wife? Jesus is the gospel of Jesus's wife. We know that there are some texts that have been left out of the Bible. When the uh, rewriters of the Bible, the King James folks, have issues with them sometimes, left out some parts of the Bible. So what is left, I have to accept, is what is important, you know, is what really God wanted to get us apart. The rest of it might have just been someone else's musings, or it could have just been historical records, just records, record keeping. So what was left is what God wanted us to hear and to learn about how to deal with one another, how to talk to one another, how to conduct ourselves. So she purported, based on that parchment that was given to her by a guy from Germany, that the, the gospel of Jesus's wife is real. And because she's a, such a learned scholar with uh, enviable reputation, yes, I say enviable, because she paid the price for it. <laughs> she's a woman, right? <laughs> and she entered theology, male-dominated, right? And she made her mark. So Dr. King presented this to her, 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 her colleagues in Rome. Naturally, the Catholic Church came down hard on that because they were the first ones to say, well, how, how authentic is this? Frankly, Dr. King had never met the guy who presented it to her. She just took it and believed it. And I, I kid you not, even I had to ask, what made her so... Uh, so convinced that this was actually a, a something to think about. I mean, Jesus's whole bachelorhood thingy is what the Catholic Church is based on. And most people think that divine revelation at the time could only be passed from God to men. So whether they are the disciples, the 12 apostles, and then later on, the popes and the priests, they're the only people who God, who God spoke to. So when I was growing up, it was unseemly that women could preach. When I was growing up, there were very few female preachers. And I had a hard time as a woman even penetrating Christian circles and penetrate. Imagine that. I mean, they were, first of all, they were in one congregation, they actually told me, you ain't going to do it because you're too pretty. They're not going to look, listen to what you're saying. They're gonna, and I'm like, this is not what it is about. I wish you would examine my heart and examine the content of what I'm saying and the revelatory uh, contained within it. But I digress. Uh, and I'm putting it into perspective because around the idea that Jesus could have had a wife is the manifestation that could he, he, he must have, he was a man, so he must have had needs. Well, people back then got married really early. That's another thing. Men did not wait until they were in their 30s to get married, Right. If they did, that was a second wife, a third wife, because back then many men, especially wealthy men, had multiple wives because they could afford to, right? So polygamy was, uh, was existed, yes, ladies, 
but it existed because the society allowed it to exist and because they could afford to maintain different homes and different houses with wives and children. But Jesus didn't seem like a man who had that kind of wealth. I mean, he was a carpenter. He walked, for instance. You never heard about Jesus in a carriage saying, giddy up, giddy up. Uh, he, they never spread out a carpet when he arrived in a town. He walked with sandals on his feet with the dust and the dirt. Can you imagine how dirty his feet must have been? He walked. Rich men back then were carried in carriages. So Jesus was not wealthy. Rich men back then lived in large houses called palaces. They were so large compared to the, what the population lived in. The population lived in hovels, what we would call hovels today, that if you had a large enough house, it was called a castle, a palace. So Jesus had no wealth. So the likelihood that he would have had multiple wives kind of is beyond. But because of the close relationship that he seemed to enjoy with Mary Magdalene, people supposed that he was married to her. And that's a likely assumption to make. But here's the deal. Mary Magdalene was not a teenager. She wasn't 15. Men married younger women back then. They married the people who were promised to them from you were born. The minute you come out of your mother's womb, you're promised to the other guy's uh, sons over there. So by the time you reach 15, you're married off. <laughs> right? 30 is not going to cut it. And if 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 Jesus was... 33, 30 when he began his ministry. I'm assuming Mary Magdalene was in her late 20s or her 20s. That would have been considered old to get married. So let's break it down a little bit. Did he enjoy female companionship? Here's what I think about that. That's me. I think by the time Jesus embarked on his ministry, he was too consumed by the vision and the mission to even think about that. You have to put your mind face of what Jesus was thinking. Here is Jesus saying he's the son of God. Jesus said, I have come to set the captive free. So he's a revolutionary, right? He comes from down in the hood, right? Down in Detroit. And he's telling the people from Detroit that you can be free. Meanwhile, the people in Bloomfield Hills and Farmington Hills and Rochester Hills are having a corruption fit. Who is this revolutionary who is threatening our way of life? At that point, you recognize that having a family is kind of a liability because they're going to kill you eventually. And if they kill you, your children and your family are vulnerable. Look at Martin Luther King. He knew that he was going to pay a price with his life. But by the time he started his public ministry, he was already married. But he asked the people around him to take care of his family because he knew to be effective, you have to continue to go at it. You, are, you become so focused on the vision and the mission that all else prevailed. Now, I am not saying Martin Luther King and the rest of those boys didn't do stuff while they were on the campaign trail and whatever people do. I am saying for Jesus, who said he was the son of God, who claimed that his mission was to set the captive free. He was so focused on the mission. He didn't have time to think about his earthly needs or to think about what he would have wanted. That was not his mission. I believe in one of the gospels when Paul tried to answer that question by saying that was not his mission. For anybody who was around him, they will tell you he was incredibly focused. Look at Jesus. He's at the wedding. His mother invites him to a wedding. 
And his mother says to him, man, fix this thing. She knows what her son is capable of. And she's like, son, these people need some wine and they run out of wine and you have some water here. Do something. And he said, woman, my time hasn't come in. That meant he was aware of what his mission was. Now, you and I are going to sit back and you're going to say, well, men are men. You know, men get excited when women were around. If, if, if Jesus had sex with Mary Magdalene and they weren't married, it would have been a scandal. It would have destroyed his ministry. I guess that's why people say he must have been married to her for her to be allowed to be near him. But we're not thinking about how people thought back then. As a man, as a teacher, by the time Jesus started his public ministry, he was recognized as a teacher. He was called rabbi. That's an esteemed position in Jewish tradition. That meant he was someone who was looked up to in the community. He was learned. He had studied with the other rabbis in the temple from he was 12 years old. So he had achieved that kind of status in the community. What that also means as a man of stature then, he had people helping him. It would not have been unusual to have women attend to him. Hence the reason why people say since Mary Magdalene followed him around, then that must mean that she was, she was uh, sleeping with him. She was his wife. Not necessarily so. I believe that Jesus was incredibly focused on the mission at hand. When Jesus sat down to talk to people, he recognized that his words were instructive, not just to the group of people there, but that his words were going to be written down in a book and that he was going to teleport. He was looking into the future at all the people whom his words would matter to and how it would impact their lives. Therefore, he didn't have time to get caught up in a scandal. I think in a lot of ways today, that's a very good example of what leadership should be. We become, we get into powerful positions and we subscribe to what the trappings of that position bring. And then we forget the mission. We forget that we are there to serve the people. We forget that we can't think about ourselves. It's just like being married, isn't it? You're in a marriage and you have children. Whatever you do impacts your spouse and your children. You can't afford to get so wrapped up in you that you forget about the impact. So you go out and cheat and you start having all kinds of things happen. And then it impacts your children and your spouse and by extension, your community, everything else around you. I believe that Jesus was so incredibly focused. He didn't have time to think of his own needs, whether they were sexual, emotional, physical, and economic. He had no time to think about it because the press and the pressure on him to finish this mission that he was sent to. So you and I today can sit back and look at it and say, you know, something that's a great example of leadership and what leadership should be. It, w it is easy for us to say, dude, come on. You must have felt an inkling every now and then. What about when you were just sitting down with your homies? What about when you were just sitting down? Did you just sit there and you didn't think or you didn't have a fantasy? Well, let's look at Jesus's life. Jesus didn't have the temptations that we are subject to today. On, a, on every screen in your life, there's temptation. There's always this subliminal messaging to have sex. It's very subliminal. Jesus didn't have that. What women today, women then didn't dress like women today. So it removed all that temptation that you could just see and say, ah, send her over here. But then you're going to say, what about David and Bathsheba? 
David, but look where David was. He went up on the rooftop to see Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop clear across the way. He shouldn't have been up there on the roof in the first place. That's what the Bible says. He wouldn't have seen that. Well, in the same way with Jesus, they prevented all of that and removed that from around him. So he didn't have that. So how then did Jesus and Mary Magdalene come in contact? Well, we would have had to go back into their lives. Who is Mary Magdalene where she came from? How could, she would have had to be betrothed to Jesus because that was the formal way that people got married then. People aren't, it's not like today, man, boy meets girl, man meets woman. Hey, we like each other. Hey, we just had great sex. Let's get it on by putting a ring on it. How about that? That's not how it happened back then. Back then, there was a long tradition of getting to know the family because when you got married then, you weren't just marrying each other. Your families were created. Kingdoms were created. So you married the entire family. So you had to uh, go back to how people com com communicated. How did people come together? So did, were, was she always there in Jesus's life? And the Bible omitted the reference that when he started his public ministry at 30, he already had a wife. That, what about when he started at 12? Because Jesus was a carpenter. That means, that he, that means his father, Joseph, his stepfather, uh, instructed him in the ways of carpentry. A lot of the research I've read around the subject says that Jesus was a tall, sinewy man, muscled because he was always cutting down trees and sawing trees. A handsome looking specimen like that, there is no way that he was going to get passed up by the late girls in the village. Amen? Amen. They were not just going to pass up that looking because that dude looks great, right? Nice looking fella. So no, that didn't happen. So Jesus would have had to have a betrothal ceremony, but the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible doesn't give that as a reference. So if the Bible doesn't say that, we're talking about the 66 books that remain. If the Bible doesn't say that, then where did this come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. There was a book called the Book of Thomas, <laughs> right? And it, it's one of the books that have been, uh, are not included in the, in the 66 books. I mean, one time somebody sent me all the rest of the books. And when I read them, they were just historical. I, I read some of them. I kid you not. Somebody actually told me at that point on the web, you could find it, the, uh, the books that are left out of the Bible. Well, when I read them, they didn't have anything that told me about how to live in a, in a, in a manner that it will help me grow as a person. Because that's really what Christianity was designed to do, to help you grow as a person. Uh, to teach you how to have faith and how to rely on faith to overcome some of the issues in life and how to prepare yourself to, to be a husband, to be a wife, and how to prepare yourself to be a better human being is what I got out of reading the Bible. But they didn't have that. So when I read some of these books, it just told you a history of what people used to do back then. Well, if I really want to know, I could just go read up some Egyptian stories, right? I could go, <laughs> you know, that would just as well tell me. Because it's the same thing. So to satisfy people's eternal curiosity about whether or not Jesus had a wife, the debate is going to rage on for centuries. But since none of us who are alive today lived at the time, we're going to have to take what the Bible says, just like in everything else. The Bible gives very clear instructions on how to live. And if you have a problem with the Old Testament, well, matriculate over to the New Testament. And it gives you grace 
This is why a lot of us are able to still survive. After all the things we have done, God did not throw us out of the temple. Isn't that incredible? So in this in this story by Mr. Ariel Sabar on the Atlantic, you can go look it up. Uh, the the paprius, the paprius that this man claimed that he found this sentence on, uh, the Vatican labeled it uh, a, a forgery. And Harvard then, Dr. Karen King, after they have done tests, because they say the way the document itself is aged, they say anybody can do that. I won't describe it. Right. But the ink that it is written on, they also found that you can find the recipe to make the ink and it can still look aged. The writing you can copy, but what the, the calligraphy you can copy. But what they said that got them was that the person who wrote it made the same mistakes, grammatical mistakes written in the language of the Coptic <laughs> that the, or the person who created the Gospel of Thomas and wrote it. It was just incredible. But I think the question for most of us, really, is did Jesus really have a wife? The question seems to bother us because for many years, looking at the example of Christianity, we use the Catholic Church, right? The Roman, let me explain, the Roman Catholic Church, some form of orthodoxy as the basis of Christianity and the example of Christianity. And when we look at the Catholic Church, what we see is an all-male group. All priests, they were told they couldn't get married because uh, you couldn't be holy and sexual. I personally have always had issue with that because I've always felt like God created me. There was no part of me that God rejected. God didn't reject the sexual part of me because that's part of my humanity. So I found myself at odds with the prevailing ideology that I couldn't be sexual and be holy. In fact, I have found that at the intersection of, of my humanity is my divinity as well, that there is a part of me that sometimes emerges. The best part of me that makes me a better human being is the part that comes, you know, like about a million thousand miles away from God, but it's the closest that I come to being a good person is the closer I get to being close to God. And that part, so I don't always walk in the sexual part of me. Do we all walk around naked? Do we all walk around thinking of sex perpetually? Well, for men, they think about sex every 15 seconds. But, and I guess it is men who say, well, Jesus must have had a woman because what would he do with all these sexual feelings? Well, you were not Jesus. You never had to, you never had the burden of humanity on your hands. You never had to be the savior of the world. You weren't the one who sat up in heaven with God as he laid out what you were going to do and the sacrifices you have to do. Jesus said he was tempted with everything known to man. Of course, he was tempted with women. Of course, he was tempted by the pleasures of, of sexuality and copulation, just like the rest of us are. But he said he went on a fast for 40 days to rid himself of it because that was not the mission. You remember when the devil took him up into the mountains and showed him all the pleasures of the world? Sex is one of the pleasures of the world. And Jesus had to fast to get out of that because he had to press it out of his flesh. This is where this Christian evangelical thinking and puritanical thinking comes from of 
pressing the flesh out. That's what they mean by that. It means not walking around in your pure base humanity. It means striving at all times to reach for your best self. Maybe it was the del- it was the delivery and the way they worded it that has created such drama and such hurt through time. They may have had a point in stri- in telling us to strive to be better, to be the best possible human being that we can, to at all times deliver on the promise that we can be the best we can be. They missed it. The delivery and the methodology was hurtful. I admit that. But what they meant that we should try to be better. That's what Jesus did. He was successful at it because he crossed over. But while he was here, he knew this time would come when we would question his very integrity. And he kind of left the debate up to us. Walk away from it how you feel. I'm not going to beat you over the head and try to convince you. That's not my goal. I'm going to tell you to look at his life. Just like I said earlier in my introduction, that if someone is running for office, and the best way that I can lay it out for you is someone running for office, look at their track record. Look at what they have done to uplift people and to empower people and to make people better. And when you have looked at it, then you can judge. None of us are perfect. Jesus was the, the Bible says the only perfect man who walked the earth, they put him up on a tree. So don't expect perfection out of the people who are seeking to serve you right now. None of them are perfect. Some have way more flaws than they have good things about them. Some have no good things about them, period. But when you look at them, look at the part of their intersection. I love intersection. I love intersectionality. It tells me a lot about you. When you were at your intersections, what kind of person did you become? I can't begin to tell you that when I set up my work and decided to do this work, I have struggled financially. I have struggled emotionally. I'm still not married, even though I believe I should be. But I had to ask myself, what is the prize here? What is the mission? What are you supposed to do? Then I'm going to have to trust God to make a way. While I strive to do my work, I am trusting God to work it out for me. Because I'm still doing the work in the community, still doing the work of living a life that years later, people will say she did walk what she preached. That's what Jesus tried to do. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am going to live the way that I was told to do it. And if I have to fast it out, then that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to leave an example that for years to come, Harriet is going to raise up and question my integrity. Harriet is going to raise up. I want her to walk away feeling that I'm not judging her. I want her to walk away being assured that how I say I lived is how I did it. There will always be questions to your personality, to your life, to what you choose to do. But it's up to you. How do you internalize it? Are you going to stay true to the mission and true to the vision in spite of the adversity, in spite of everything, in spite of the gray hairs that run through us, in spite of the constant worry and the fear of the future and everything else? Are you going to be true to it? And if you choose to be true to it, then so help you God. God will help you. I don't know if Jesus had a wife or not. I don't feel that he did because 
It's not important. And more importantly, I don't think it solidifies the question about whether women can serve in ministry. I think the Bible, as it was interpreted by the King James people, was written by men who had a very strong opinion of how they wanted women and how they wanted to control women. So women were placed in categories. I don't believe that's how Jesus lived because when Jesus was at the well, he spoke to women. He gave women work to do. And he didn't give them subservient work to do. He called to attention who women were supposed to be. As my youngest daughter said a couple weeks ago, she said she thinks women are the greatest human beings because she looked at herself and her sister. And she said, I can't believe we came out of you, mom. You gave birth to two whole human beings. She says, your body carried two human beings? And she said, I think women are the greatest human beings. How, did, how do we do that? How do we make human beings? I think that's what Jesus wants us to look, like, to look at. Study his life. If you have a wife, how do you treat her? If that were supposed to be Jesus's way of life, and if he were supposed to come and show us how to be wives to husbands, that would have been his ministry. But that was not it. The greater vision was saving people. And today, when you look at all the racial unrest, you have to ask yourself, Jesus did it right. He called for equality. He called, the, he said, men, he said, everybody's equal. Nobody's greater than the other. But who are you telling that to? You're telling people who subverted the gospel and twisted it and made it a political platform when it was supposed to be about the love of God for all. I don't know if you are ever going to be satisfied in asking the question, did Jesus have a wife? Seriously? I don't know. I I suppose at some point people are going to say, well, he must have had a husband. And find justifications for it just like they were searching for. I believe Dr. King said she was searching for examples of womanhood and women that women could be apostles and disciples. But Dr. King, honestly, baby, we satisfy that right now. We didn't wait for affirmation from men to tell us. We just kept on marching and doing exactly what we knew deep within us were called to do. When you ask a man why he is serving or why is he doing what he does, he said, I was born to do it. And he says it with such surety and assurance. Therefore, when a woman says the same thing, why, is, why does it have to be questioned? When a woman says she's called to, to serve a CEO, Why should it be questioned? Is she capable? We don't ask men that question. Similarly, when a woman says she's called to be an apostle and she's called to be a professor of one of the best divinity schools in the the world, she should not be questioned. Why are you questioning her her sex, her gender? Did Jesus not have women around him? Did he not talk to them? Did he not share confidences with them? In what we have read from the Gospels, it doesn't sound a lot like he was married. Where were the children? Because in that day and time, you got married, you had children. And he would have had to have been married from early because that was how it happened then. So let's not take the historical context away from it in answering the questions. But let us look at Jesus's life. I'm calling attention to his life, his example of service, his example of leadership. And I feel like if he wanted 
us to know that he had a wife, he would have said so clearly. And he probably would have been the best example because I know if that had existed, dude, I would have told my ex-husband that this is how you serve me. (laughs) And this is the kind of example you need to be. And I guess I'm not alone in saying that a lot of women would stand by that and say, yeah, surely. But that was not the mission. The mission was saving people one life at a time. The mission was letting people know whatever captive situations you find yourself in, whether it's poverty, whether it's in gun violence, whether it is in any kind of situation, that if you look at the life of Jesus and pray about it and work hard at it, you will get out of it. At least if you're freeing your minds, you can live with yourself. Nelson Mandela said it like this. He was in a prison. He was behind prison bars for 27 years, but they could not imprison his mind. He later rose up to be president of the same country that had imprisoned him because he said that all people should be free. The current president of the United States called Nelson Mandela an ASS, the rest of the world. The current president of the United States referred to Nelson Mandela as a, and said he turned South Africa into a, because of the color of his skin. Do you think? No wonder he doesn't serve God. No wonder he doesn't believe in Jesus. You think Jesus would have said that? Jesus said, I came to set the captive free. Be free, everybody. Be free in your mind. You don't spend time worrying about whether Jesus had a wife or not. That's a distraction from the mission. Don't be distracted. Focus on the mission and let the mission guide you. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kamek on another edition of Down to Earth. For more information, please go to my website, harrietkamek.com, as well as visit my pages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere your favorite podcast platform is. Thank you so much. Get my book, Through the Fire. It's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. I am an author and a speaker. Thank you so much, everybody. It's 50 days to go. Be blessed, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 